Hi, everybody. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We're going to be focusing on surgical robotics this week. I spoke with two principals from Renovo Surgical, which is a well-funded surgical robotics company based in China. Their uh, system, the Karina system, has a, a very cool modular design, and they'll be going after the uh, minimally invasive surgery market in China. And then, of course, beyond that, they're uh, they're concentrating their efforts on China right now, but they're also looking OUS. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, how they're planning to do that, whether there might be some uh, interest in, in partnering further down the road. So I spoke with John Ma. He is founder, chairman, and CEO in Ying Mao. He is co-founder, COO, and CTO of the company. Both have extensive experience at some of the big companies, including Oris and Intuitive Surgical. So uh, it was really interesting to hear how they're approaching uh, their design and how they think it's a great fit for uh, for China's, again, very large market. In addition to that, of course, we'll have our uh, Newmarkers Newsmakers, Chris Newmarker, joins us and uh, lets us know of the news of the week. And uh, you can also hear about uh, some car trouble we were having, at least I was having, but uh, things seem to be uh, picked up a little bit. So excuse the uh, the dour tone at the start of the podcast, but uh, just keeping it real. Finally, uh, don't forget, join us at Device Talks Boston. That'll take place on May 10th and 11th. You can go to devicetalks.com to register for that. We'd love to see you there. And uh, while you're at devicetalks.com, make sure you check out our upcoming Device Talks Tuesdays this week at 4 p.m. Eastern. I'm happy to welcome back our friends from TE Connectivity. They always put on a great show. It's always one of our more well-attended sessions, so you don't want to miss it. This is called How Fine Wire Automation Improves Reliability and Reduces Costs in Medical Device Development. So again, make sure you check out uh, devicetalks.com, check out the Device Talks Tuesdays tab and register for our upcoming Device Talks Tuesdays. They're free, they're informative, you can watch them live, you can watch them on demand, but uh, don't uh, don't delay. Make sure you sign up for the upcoming Device Talks Tuesdays. And of course, check out all of our great podcasts, including uh, the Intuitive Talks we just launched uh, this week. And uh, next week on Wednesday, we'll be rolling out our first Boston Scientific Talk. So uh, look forward to bringing you those stories. All right. Without any further delay, let us get this podcast started. All right. You ready for this? Ready. Newmarker, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Tom. <laughs> we were just uh, prior to pushing record, I talking about our, our cars and, and yes, uh, there are many needs. So uh, yeah, I think I might have got the big call from our mechanic. We'll see. We'll see if the Kia Rondo can can live to see drive another day. But uh, anyway, if they have to put the Kia down, I mean, at least like maybe you can, you know, like maybe it's like they could like do like tire prints on some kind of like you know, ceramic thing for you or you know, something to, to keep the keychain. They told me it was going to go live in a farm. Is it going to go live in a farm, Chris? Is that yeah, a real thing? Is. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. Oh, good. There are Kia old, farms out there. Your beloved old cars <laughs> go to a farm. Exactly. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll find goats out. Goats love old 
cars <laughs> that don't work. <laughs> they love they to drive jump old. on them. It's yeah. great. It's fun. That's yeah, great. That's a goat farm. <laughs> 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 maybe we'll get some. will get some complimentary cheese from the goat farm. You know, make some make some roasted Brussels sprouts. It'll be great. <laughs> there you go. Goats are adorable, by the way. We have a goat farm nearby, and they're just oh a lot yeah, of fun. yeah. We we take the kids to an orchard. Yeah, yeah they're they're fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think the town would let me get one though. Like you know, it's it's tempting to get a goat to mow the lawn, but you know, I don't. Yeah, no, I've thought yeah. about that. They'll eat anything. Poison ivy, the whole bit. They'll eat poison ivy. That is wow. Oh yeah, if you there's a we have we have a service around here, goats to go. They they put up a fence around an area where there's poison ivy and the goats remain in that fence in area until they eat all the poison ivy and they're that's how they get rid of poison I ivy. I have luckily not had poison ivy in my landscaping, oh. but if I it ever crops up, I'll I'll remember I could get a goat service. It sounds like a <laughs> certainly do that. Yeah. Yes. Sounds better than me trying putting on gloves and trying to pull it out. That doesn't doesn't sound pleasant. No, my body does not react well to nature. I'm a city boy. I love my time outdoors, but if I walk by a bit of poison ivy, it's uh, it's curtains for old Tom. So, oh, I'm better than I used to be. And poison ivy aren't friends. (laughs) Anyway, Anyway, I don't know how we went this dark, dark, weird, mundane hole, but here we are. You know, we we just need. We just need spring to get here. I think that's what it's all about. I, I'll, I'm going to take some extra vitamin D after this call. Has your snow melted yet? Oh, no. <laughs> we must, I think, as much as I don't think our listeners want to hear us. Like, I think yeah, they, if just, we have any left. Please if cut anybody, this down, if, Tom. Just cut it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to share all the ugly with our listeners. They're going to know way, way too much about us. But let's roll into the New Markers Newsmakers. The New um, Markers Newsmakers. Which, which has some some cheery news as well as some less than cheery right. news yeah so it, but why don't we number five not so cheery not so cheery i mean um this was a uh if anyone hasn't listened to you know last week's podcast about like kind of the fallout from you know the silicon valley bank collapse they really should i mean it's it's just there's just a lot of good uh good stuff in there even like good advice for you know dealing with you know a crisis situation but um if if you want just a quick summary, I wrote an article on Mass Device off of that podcast episode. What could MedTech lose from the Silicon Valley uh, bank shutdown? And you know, um, you know, I mean, a lot. I mean, definitely, there's a lot of relief. I mean, there's a lot of companies, especially like young medical device companies, that you know, they, I mean, they they really dodged something. I mean, they could have you know lost a lot of money or like been stuck like without access to 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 you know to a lot of money um you know billions of dollars but um, yeah but no, we, yeah i mean so i mean i mean i think we we, we need to see the the other shoe needs to fall we need to see what who's going to buy if anyone still can yeah. bank they file for chapter 11 after we after we recorded that though, i think i mentioned did, that. yeah yeah the parent company did FDIC is um, trying to auction off, you know, the bridge bank they created after season of the bank. Um, but, um, you know, kind of the other the other side of this is, yeah, I mean, what's is it is any is this is Silicon Valley Bank in some form going to survive, or could we get you know some other institution to come in and kind of play the role they played? Because I think that was kind of the big message, you know, that I have in this article that we had in the podcast a week ago is that you know beyond just you know being a bank for you know for for like innovative young, you know, technology med tech companies with VC backing. I mean, it, it, it provided a really important role, like providing, you know, advice, you know, like providing, you know, networking, um, you know, being kind of a cheerleader in some way for these companies, like, with, you know, with the VCs, you know, to get the VCs to yeah. provide more investments, you know, so like something, you know, as, um, 
as you know, you had, you know, pristine surgical CEO, Brian Lord said pretty aptly, like you said, you know, if, if there's a hole left, left, it's going to be a giant loss for the industry. I mean, this, this bank played a, an important role. So here's to hoping that, you know, I, you know, it, it continues on in some way, or, uh, you know, that somebody else comes in and steps up and fills this niche because it definitely feels like the niche was good, just uh, bad risk management. I think it'll, it'll uh, probably take a couple of banks to fill a niche because I don't know if anyone's going to leave themselves to that sort of exposure again. Even if you, it was pointed out in a podcast I was listening to that even if you, Silicon Valley Bank may have had all these companies as clients with different accounts and the different companies, but they often shared investors. So if one investor shares, sends out an email to 10 or 20 or 30 portfolio companies, get your money out of there, then they're not right. operating as one client. They're operating as, they're not operating as 30 clients. They're operating as one big client. So this will thing will definitely emerge from this with some redundancy, I would imagine, with some other banks hopefully stepping in, although the banking situation still seems to be fluid, we'll say. Yeah, <laughs> for now. that's a good way to put it. I definitely would say banking is one of those industries where it really needs to be as boring as possible. I, I Boring banking news is good for all of us. Do you have some good news, Chris Newmarket? Can we just get some good medical technology news, some medical technology that might be positioned to help people? What's number oh, four? Oh, yeah. Let me see what's, you know, next on the list. Uh, <laughs> this is good news. I've got good news. Yay! I've got some, Tom. I'm delivering. Or you know, specifically, our associate editor, Sean Hooley, is uh, delivering. He uh, you know, he uh, spent a day at the uh, Technology and Heart Failure Therapeutics Conference in uh, in Boston and uh, like rolled out some coverage out of uh, studies coming out of that. And one of the really... Um, Really interesting pieces of news is, was a, um, you know, was a, uh, a meta-analysis of, uh, of three randomized controlled trials involving Abbott's CardioMEMS HF system, which, which remotely monitors, uh, you know, pulmonary artery pressure. Um, and it found that, you know, just, you know, by, because it provides doctors like specific insights into, uh, into how, someone's heart failure is progressing, including like early warnings of worsening heart failure. Um, it found that it reduced mortality risk by a uh, 25% of two years for amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, just, I mean, that's just people not dying. Um, so I mean that, that, that was just a really, really strong piece of information, um, which, uh, yeah, I mean, here's you know, like, like well, it'll be great to see how this uh, this device progresses because it seems like it's uh, you know, this uh, this study out of uh, Abbott is you know showing that it's uh, you know it's you know it's 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 you know if, if your if your goal is to keep people with heart failure from dying, um, you know, reducing the risk of death, it's uh, you know it's it's per, it's it appears to be a really valuable tool. Absolutely, and Abbott, of course, uh, CardioMEMS is really uh, scoring some points. That was, just speaking to the innovation economy, that was a privately held company acquired by St. Jude in 2014. Yeah. And then, of course, Abbott went on to acquire St. Jude. So it's the smaller companies that can really uh, really develop, larger companies can as well. Exactly. But as we know, s- startups can really uh, change the game and advance treatment for uh, for Holy. patients. So good good work by Abbott, good work by St. Jude for acquiring them, and good new, good work for for cardio mems and some good news. Thanks for that. Yeah, Chris Newmark. yeah I got some more. Nice I got some more uh, THT. Bring it on me. So, all bring right, it on. here we go. We got um like CVRX's uh. Bring it on. Barrow- Not bring it on me. Bring it on. Bring, bring it on. on. Bring it on, Chris. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> the, Sorry, good. <laughs> ah, you're going really Boston there, Tom. Like, <laughs> uh, so the uh, you know the CVRX is uh, Barrow Stem Neuro 
modulation device, um, which is it's another heart failure. This is a heart failure treatment. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, the device, this is a neuromodulation device. Um, you know, it, um, you know, delivers um, electrical pulses to the barrier receptors in the wall of the carotid artery. And, you know, this, you know, kind of, uh, this is, this like helps, uh, you know, reduce the symptoms of heart failure. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they released a trial at, uh, at a THT that uh, Sean wrote about, um, you know, where, you know, it looked at 323 randomized patients, medium follow-up 3.6 years later, um, you know, they, you know, along with like, you know, 90%, 97% freedom from major adverse neurological or cardiovascular system or procedure related events. That's great. Good, really good safety. And then it likes, you know, like there were like symptom improvements compared to the control included like a 44 meter improvement in a six minute hall walk at 12 months. Um, you know, quality of life improved by 10 points, um, you know, on the Minnesota living with heart failure questionnaire, um, you know, at, at the 24 month mark. So, um, yeah, just, just a lot, some good evidence, uh, you know, like from a CVRX that, you know, the Barristan Neo is, uh, you know, helping to reduce, uh, you know, symptoms for heart failure patients. So just more good news for, you know, people who are, you know, dealing with this, this chronic condition. That's great. No, and it's important that we can we do focus all joking aside on, on the good news and the good yeah. work that the, the impact of these technologies. We'll be talking about that at Device Talks Boston. We'll talk uh, to Zimvi about Tether. Abbott will be there to talk about HeartMate. Boston Scientific will be talking about Lithaview. So, yeah, lots of great technologies. There's coming. a lot of uh, exciting things going on. And, a lot of exciting things are happening. You know, and we've yeah, I mean, the last few weeks have definitely been. It's been you know we've had some you know sad news with you know you know some you know layoffs going a bit on a big medtech companies. But I'm 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 just sticking with optimism on this tom though i mean i just think i mean as as we were saying even last week i mean i mean like people have health conditions and they need to be treated there's a demand here i think i think this industry is in much better shape than than a lot of others and i think what we're just seeing right now is kind of like all these i when i look at at all these different factors that are affecting medical device companies i mean a lot of them seem to be temporary i mean i just i just Mm -hmm. think we're just you know, going through a patch where companies need to kind of retrench because you just got all these these factors, you know, a lot of them temporary, just kind of hitting them all at once. Absolutely. So if you are someone who's been impacted by some of the negative news over the past couple of weeks, job-wise, um, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Uh, stick to it. There's a lot of greatness going out there, and uh, we'll get through it. We will. All right. What is number two, Chris Newmark? Well, number two on the list, um, you know, Johnson & Johnson, uh, MedTech's uh, – Executive Vice President, the person in charge of that business, Ashley McAvoy. She is Avamed's new chair, starting her two. Great choice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The first um, woman executive to, uh, you know, be be chair of the group. So that that's that's kind of stunning. That yeah, I, I was kind of surprised. Uh, <laughs> you I, asked me about that. I'm like, that can't be. I true. did a quick interview with her when she told me that. I yeah. was I was visibly surprised. I was I was like, wow, they haven't had it. But you know that that's great. You know, it's uh, you know the the group was founded in 1974, so it's their first woman chair. Um, they did have um, Pam Bailey was their CEO mm-hmm. um, in the in the early 2000s. So it's, it's not like not like they've always had you know men leading the group so so that's good but you know like definitely McAvoy I mean Johnson Johnson MedTech that's the second largest you know medical device business in the world so I mean she's one of the most powerful 
executives in our industry. And, you know, now she's, you know, you know, the, the, the voice of our industry for the next two years. Um, and, uh, you know, she, uh, she has goals. She has, I mean, the group has goals for, you know, the coming years. And, you know, it kind of struck me that some of these goals actually, you know, uh, you know, kind of speak a bit to, you know, kind of some of the challenges actually they're working through right now. I mean, you know, I mean, they've, you know, they've got, you know, there, there's the whole, you know, issue around, you know, health providers, you know, being understaffed, facing all this, these operational challenges, and then spill over into their ability to, you know, acquire new med tech to help people. And, uh, you know, they're really, uh, Avamed's really focused on getting the industry to, like, to, you know, try to, like, one of the big goals is build a more resilient healthcare system, you know, seeking policy enhancements and improved supply chain operations and supply chains that have been another huge challenge for the industry. So Evans, you know, sounds like they're really going to be focusing on trying to, you know, you know, support improvements, you know, in those areas. Um, you know, and then of course they're focused on this digital transformation where, you know, we're this this industry is uh, going through, including making sure that, you know, we've got some ethical policies in place around it. And uh, you know, there's uh you know, there's the goal to, you know, ensure the the med tech industry like reflects the patients. It's it serves. I mean, you know, making sure they've got diverse representation in the industry and that, you know, and also improving diversity in clinical research. I and mean, we've seen some, you know, some problems with medtech, you know, products that, you know, the, the, the research behind it was, you know, too focused, you know, frankly, on white people. And, you know, it didn't, um, you know, like I remember the uh, the problems with pulse oximeters that have been talked about in recent years. I mean, they weren't uh, they weren't as effective with, you know, people with darker skin. I mean, you need to. You know, so we, we need to be better at that. But, um, you know, I, I kind of noted to her, you know, we have our annual study where we look at the leadership pages of all these 100 largest companies and still only 23% of the executives on those pages are, are women. This is like a, a, a study that our senior editor, Daniel Kirsch, does every year. And, you know, and McAvoy just flat out said, like, you know, I always say start with your own house and get your house in order. So, mm-hmm. so you know, there's definitely, definitely a realization we need, we need to do more. The, the industry needs to be better. All right. Let us uh, let us finish this Newmarkers Newsmakers. What is number one on the Newmarkers Newsmakers? Yeah, big news uh, from Medtronic. Uh, just some, uh, you know, really uh, just some good enterprising reporting from our MDO managing editor Jim Hammerand. You know, with uh, with our with you know Sean so busy at THT, like uh, Jim Jim came over and lent us a hand over a mass device and was just uh, you know just trying to like had a, had a good uh, good scoop on uh, how uh, you know Medtronic is uh, consolidating their surgical robotics and surgical innovations operating units. Uh, you know, there wasn't a news release out about it yet, but you know Jim caught. An update on their website, and uh, you know, including uh, you know, mention that uh, you know the former surgical robotics president Mike uh, Marinero was going to be leading the new group, and mm-hmm. so yeah, we uh, you know, this is I think this is what we've been doing best right now. Like at Mass Device, we're getting the news out first, and yeah, uh, you guys are killing it. And I think the good news, Medtronic, you 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 published an article. Jim Jim put together an article based upon things he discovered on the website and then Medtronic came back the next day with some more details and they yes. said that uh that they're not going to be closing any facilities so robotics will remain in, in Connecticut and Colorado I guess which oh yes yeah. that would be the surgical the surgical part so I think robotics is in Connecticut the surgical tool part would be in Colorado both those facilities will remain open so that's good news yeah. Yeah, that's good news. So, yeah. and we, uh, you know, we'll just see how things continue to play out at Medtronic. I mean, they've, you know, they were announcing, uh, you know, a few weeks ago that they're in the midst of a, you know, a significant, you know, significant expense reduction, you yep. know, through the company. Um, you know, no, no words about, you know, you know, whether, you know, what kind of job 
you know, if there are job reductions, what kind, but, um, you know, here's to, you know, here's to hoping that, uh, that wraps up soon. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, al it's always tough when you see a large company, like, uh, you know, going through those kinds of expense reductions. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's not, uh, isolated to Medtronic. I've talked with, uh, oh, yeah. exec executives at most of the major med techs and said, so no one has said, no, we're fine. We're not going to have layoffs. Seems like everybody's either talking about it or looking inward and trying to figure out, uh, how to get through these tougher economic yeah. times. So it's not a, uh, it's not an isolated, uh, unfortunately, occurrence for Medtronic, or you reported on J&J &J earlier. Uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing more of these, uh, or at least we'll be aware that things are happening. I mean, we we do track things on social media. That's where you hear a lot. Obviously, phone calls yeah. with people, you hear that. But you also have established a, a tip line on Mass Device that if folks want to share, you want to talk a bit about that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we set up a uh, you know a, a a layoffs tip line on a mass device. It should be pretty easy to to Google up, and you can. Would you include the link, Tom? With the... yes, the link will be in the thank uh, you, Tom, in the in the show notes. I should have noted that. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> and again, it's not as we yeah. said before, last. Uh, it wasn't last week or the week before. Um, yeah, it's not a matter of gotcha or things like that. It just these moments are important in uh in people's lives when they're yeah. separated from an employer and you know i think there's a sort of a bit of closure that comes when it or at least a, a part of the process is seeing that others have experienced something similar uh, and i think it just sort of helps the process so i really i think it helps the process i think we're providing a, a valuable service by just giving people across the industry an idea of how yeah this is all all playing out and you know and frankly too i, I think it helps people are laid off when these layoffs are are public because i mean you don't have to go and you know apply for a new job and you know try to explain like well why yeah. why they let you go like why did you know it's just like it's it's just obvious like oh i was caught up in the big layoff at yeah or it may whatever it may jar the memory of someone in your network who sees that happen and said oh let me reach out to to so and so and see what she's up to so totally and we've seen that too even like with our posting off our layoff coverage on on linkedin we've you know seen you know people who are yep. recruiters people with companies that are hiring like saying hey you know you got caught up in this layoff you know we were looking for you know experienced talent from you know these companies to you know come help us out so i mean there's there's definitely i just i think there i think i you know, I, I, I'm really looking forward to not writing about layoffs. I was going to say, I really miss our top fives when they were all cool product news. Yeah, um, but, I, but I do feel we're doing some good. Um, you know, I, I think we're really, uh, you know, delivering absolutely. some value to our audience. And, Great job over there at Mass yeah. Device. All right. Thanks, Tom. Well, Dr. John Ma and Ying Ma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm uh, excited to learn more about Renovo. And uh, it's it's emerged and come to my attention lately, uh, recently, and uh, just doing some more research on it. You've got a really uh, unique approach to uh, robotic surgery that I uh, can't wait to get into. But we always like to learn a little bit about our guests and how they came to this point before we begin talking about the company. So, uh, John, if you could please explain, how did you uh, find your way into the, uh, the medical device industry? Sure. First of all, I received my PhD in material science and engineering almost uh, 30 years ago from the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, almost for my entirety of my career, I have worked in meta industry. You know, 20 some years ago, I was the first CTO of a G Healthcare in China oh. and also worked for the company like Express Scripts, Fusion Groups and Intuitive Surgical. 
before the company Renovo Surgical was founded. Has your focus always been uh, in Asia or have you focused on other parts of the world as well? I have uh, predominantly worked in APEC region, mm-hmm. and uh, but I have taken global assignments as well. Excellent. And uh, in Ying, how did you uh, find your way into the industry? I got my PhD degree in the U.S. back in 2012. And then following the years, I've always been uh, working with uh, robotic systems, um, starting with General Electric, and then a series of startups, including Dream World, which I co-founded, primarily focused on augmented reality headsets, and then Oris Health, where I worked with the team on the Otaba system, and then Renovo Surgical, where I took the primary role uh, on the engineering side, building the Carina system. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, let's let's get focused on on Renovo. John, can you please uh, tell me how did you first enter the or begin working in the surgical robotics field? I know you did some work with Intuitive both at the company and I think at a partner of the company. Yeah, sure. My uh, connection with uh, surgical robotics uh, dated back for almost uh, ten years, starting from twenty thirteen. It was not by design, you know. As you know, that uh, I have uh, predominantly worked in the meta industry for twenty plus years. 2013, I took assignment uh, as a senior vice president of uh, Fusion, uh, and and Fusion was an exclusive distributor of uh, Intuitive's Da Vinci system in China, and I uh, uh, that got my attention, and <laughs> uh, I was uh, fascinated by what I have discovered early on. China at that time only had uh, roughly about 17 install base. Very few surgeons are performing surgeries using the system. But however, we have uh, consistently heard from uh, KOLs alike and uh, across a number of uh, specialties uh, that they are love for the system. Hmm. And uh, I always believe KOLs. I always believe uh, you know, good doctors, uh, their instinct uh, in innovative and uh, innovative technologies. And when I look deeper into that, uh, and obviously, you know, that started my uh, next 10 years uh, journey of a very uh, close association with uh, surgical robotics. And we grew business uh, substantially from the commercial side and uh, worked with the intuitive extremely closely and uh, founding the joint venture. Eventually, I took a role as a senior vice president of a strategic initiative uh, with intuitive. So the 10 years uh, time, you know, my uh, connection with surgical robotics, not only discovering the tremendous potential and what innovation can play a key role in uh, clinical outcome, but also uh, I am very fond of what I learned in the 10 years. In the meantime, uh, however, that we have also discovered tremendous growth opportunities, you know, clinically unmet needs in China. That all, you know, stem from the idea of uh, founding Rodovo Surgical tried to do that. Interesting. So what, what is the, uh, the appeal to the KOLs in, in China for robotic surgery? What is it that they see as their future? Yeah, as you know, the, the starting point is uh, very similar, you know, like in the U.S. You know, we used to say that you should shoot for the heart, you end up with a prostate. And uh, some uh, 16 years ago, when the first surgery was uh, performed in China, it was a cardiac surgery. That was uh, uh, January of uh, 2007. I think uh, the surgeon was uh, fascinated by what the machine can do in terms of uh, precision, maneuverability, and also minimum invasive. And that's why it all started with the heart. And uh, then when it moved on, and as the intuitive continued to grow and the technology continued to grow. And uh, it, I think it landed its uh, 
unique position, you know, with regards to surgeries in uh, small cavities and the narrow access uh, type of uh, application. And, uh, you know, that's how it got started uh, that the KOLs and the famous surgeons find out, uh, you know, the minimally invasive technique robotically performed on patients and really show the strength of uh, operating, you know, in specialties like urology. And that's how it all got started to where it was, uh, you know, today. And predominantly still the system is utilized in uh, specialties like urology in China. But you saw an opportunity, from what I've read, you saw an opportunity, and I want to get into the refounding of Renova now, for an alternative in, in Asia. You had joined Lily Asia Ventures, is that right? As Lisa Correct. And looked for an opportunity to invest in, and you weren't able to find anything, and that led to the founding of Renova, is that correct? That's correct. Lily Asia Ventures, uh, more than three years ago, was looking for opportunities to grow in surgical robotics, and they were looking for is there anything beyond intuitive surgical set da Vinci? And the, can intuitive da Vinci satisfy all the needs or mm-hmm. most of the needs in China? And then that's how we started the talking. And uh, I, I just uh, left the intuitive surgical for a while. So that's all at the beginning that we, uh, are exp- we were exploring that uh, what are the alternatives? What are the things that, uh, that the, the doctors are still looking for in China? and uh, can potentially help them. So let me say that, you know, the, the experience with Intuitive was tremendous and uh, the great learning for all people who have been associated with that. Uh, but however, you know, after the first robotic surgery was performed in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, after 16 years, that if you look at the, the tremendous uh, space of a minimum invasive surgery, which, you know, uh, China performs like a 10 million procedures a year, minimum invasive procedures a year, only a very tiny fraction of that volume, less than 1%, is performed robotically. And a very large chunk of that less than 1% is uh, urology. So when you look at uh, general surgery, when you look at gynecology, you know, each specialty can have like a 5 million, around 5 million procedures a year. And the penetration from robotic technology system, you know, predominantly intuitive, is uh, less than 0.5 or 0.2% respectively. So one would have to wonder, you know, why is that? When uh, on one hand, that you have a tremendous uh, high volume of uh, minimum invasive surgery performed in each specialty, but what are the doctors are looking for or not satisfied with the current available system that can offer them in their specialty. So those are the questions we ask ourselves at the beginning. You know, we are at the very forefront of a commercializing robotic surgery in China. But those are very deep questions that when you talk to clinicians, they are asking and we are asking. And, and this, that, that, that's how essentially that uh, Renovo Surgical uh, was all started in trying to explore, you know, what can we do more beyond the urology? What we can enable the surgeon with some innovative ideas, something different. And Yang, you you had experience at J&J and Oris, as you said, and you came to join Renovo as, as co-founder or co-founder Renovo. I was wondering, what opportunities did you see to sort of design a new approach to surgical robotics? Where did you sort of maybe see other approaches lacking, some of which really haven't gained a lot of traction? And what did you want to help create at Renovo? When I first got in touch with Ronovo Surgical, what resonated with me the most was the vision and the passion to really 
make robotic surgery accessible to everyone. This is a very different goal as what I have experienced with Oris. Obviously, with Oris, we we have building、uh, one of the Um, most top-notch systems、uh, in the world,、um, potentially even offering better capability than the Da Vinci system. But at the end of the day, I think to me, what what's most important is to really have patients access the technologies that we're building and help the patients getting better outcome through their exposure to the surgery or whatsoever. So, with that thoughts in mind, I think. To have a system that has the capability to really promote the system of the robotic surgery and have、uh, make it accessible to everyone, that is really a challenging goal. I think a lot of the systems worldwide are trying to tackle that problem, but so far there's still a lot of opportunities that we can explore. And particularly for the Chinese market, it's a pretty unique market. We have a very different surgeon population. Uh, we have a very different patient population. The disease profile is quite different, and our surgeons, many of them, are already laparoscopic surgeons.、Uh, as compared to when Da Vinci entered the system, the doctors are primarily doing open surgery, and only a very small portion of the surgeons are doing laparoscopic surgery. And how do we provide a system that really Offer the capability and leverage the capabilities of these laparoscopic surgeons. These are things that we thought a lot at the beginning of the inception of the Carina system, and really offering a system having the capability to make robotic surgery accessible. Well, let's talk about the Carina system and how it's different. I've I've seen the pictures, and and it it seems as if it's it's made each arm has its own is its own unit as opposed to some of the others where the multiple arms extend from one. Is that the primary difference? And maybe I should Ying let you tell you explain what the model is. But I thought it was very clever because it seems like you can pull, you can wheel in three, you can wheel in four, depending upon、yeah. what you need. Yeah, exactly. I think the thought behind the Carina system is is really to have a very flexible system, and also at the same time very cost effective. When we say flexible, it's a modular system. We offer a flexible choice of instruments. We offer Flexible choice of vision system, and all of these features that we put in the system have their implication on the clinical capability of the system, and also on the economics. For example, if we make the system modular, then the surgeon will have better capability to position the arms around the surgical bed in hopes of reducing collision throughout the procedure. And this offers potential capability for laparoscopic surgeons to use their Familiar port placement for their procedure, and also being able to do multi-quadrant procedures better potentially. At the same time, you have modular system. We also made the system configurable, and this is what I believe we are the first to do this because now when the system is configurable, when the hospital purchases the system, they have the flexibility to choose which modules they they want、uh, hmm. for for their hospital. For example, if The hospital has already invested in a minimally invasive operating room. They already have their vision system. They already have their instruments. They already have their ESU, for example. In that case, when they want to purchase a robotic system, they have the flexibility to choose: Do I want to purchase a vision system together with my robot? How many parts do I want? What procedures I'm doing? Right. If I'm primarily doing、uh, benign procedures, that I only need. 
three arms uh, for a procedure, one scope, two instruments, then I can stick with a three-arm system and reduce the cost to acquire the robotic system. And regarding instruments, we offer both 8mm and 5mm instruments. 8mm are wristed, 5mm are, are adapted from uh, conventional laparoscopic instruments. And with those capabilities, then you will have the capability to choose the right balance for your patients. Do I need the accuracy and dexterity when I'm doing complex tasks like suturing? And for simple grasping tasks, then I can stick with a uh, straight stick instruments. Hmm. And the thought behind this is also the fact that the surgeon group that we're working with, they're already very familiar with uh, laparoscopic surgeries. So they, they are very familiar with using the straight stick laparoscopic instruments. And that's why they can very quickly adapt to the system and also pick the right balance for the patients without losing much clinical outcome. With all these flexibilities built into the platform, we believe the hospital, the surgeon, and the patient will ultimately benefit from the system in that you have more flexibility in doing the surgery you have more flexibility in choosing the right instruments and balance the economics for our patients. And for the patients, ultimately, you're getting better clinical outcome with the robotic technology. But at the same time, the economics is insured because of the flexibility that we built into the system. John, is this what you were looking for when you were looking for a robotic system to invest in? Or is this what was in mind? Or did this sort of- Absolutely, absolutely. This is not by accident. And <laughs> this, is not the, this is not the one dimension of uh, advantage that, uh, you know, it's from multiple angles. And what we were looking for at the beginning when we established company, we were very clear. We want to not only do rheology, but also we want to do general surgery. We want to do th- uh, thoracic gynecology. You know, we not only want to have the system do complex cases like uh, hysterectomy, but also maybe coli, you know, simple procedures. And uh, we not only want to have a, a single quadrant access, but also we want to enable the surgeon with multiple quadrant access in order to do uh, those specialties effectively. A simple example of that, Ying mentioned about the arm collision. And we not only want to have the most senior surgeon to use the system, but also providing access to laparoscopic surgeons and to open surgeons and then junior surgeons that they can perhaps find their access to technology to very quickly accelerate their learning. And we're not only looking for a system that can only fit into a very large operating room, but also we want to have the system that can capable uh, enter, you know, 33 square meter operating rooms in China and making more space for the entire operating teams. And those are the very important ingredients. And, uh, you know, you look at from market access, from hospital settings, uh, from surgeon needs, uh, from, from clinical outcomes, et cetera. They're closely connected with uh, what Ying has described with the system features. And so this is not one parameter, one variable that try to be different, but this is a multiple angle of a consideration from technology to clinical application to potential addressable market. Where are most of these procedures being done in China? Are they in a a full-scale hospital with an operating room? Uh, In the U.S., we're seeing more surgery centers, more out of hospice. Where, Where are procedures being done there? 
Yeah, this is a great question. You know, we always talk about addressable market, who are doing this. You know, first, let me say this. Nobody is going to question China is going is a huge country no. with a lot of people. <laughs> and we have a lot of volume of procedures. 10 million, as I mentioned before, 10 million procedures coming from general surgery, thoracic, gynecology, urology. As I mentioned before, general surgery and uh, and the gynecology accounts to 95, 96% of that. And where they are performed, they are performed in almost 10,000 hospitals. Imagine that number, 10,000 hospitals, primarily two different tiers. So we call tertiary and the secondary hospital who are qualified to perform minimum invasive surgeries. This is a huge number, 10,000 hospitals. How many operating rooms and how many surgeons are qualified to perform minimum surgery, minimum invasive surgery. Those are laparoscopic surgeries, right? So there are roughly about 120,000 accredited surgeons who can do that. And uh, there are roughly about 100,000 operating rooms who, you know, on average doing five to six surgeries a day from each operating room. So this is the volume that we're talking about. So coming back to your question, where these uh, minimum invasive surgeries are performed, where they are robotically performed. This is exactly this company is founded that we are not only providing solutions to the top tier, to the largest hospitals in the country that currently have a limited number of systems and a limited number of doctors or a limited number of specialties. We want to deliver the system to the second tier. Perhaps Coley is a, is a predominantly the chunk of the volume they are you know, doing. So that's why, you know, ease of access, ease of use, you know, accessibility and uh, cost effectiveness. So these all come into play that determine how we want our system to be. And those are the opportunities, not only the tertiary, but also secondary hospitals, county level hospital, if you want to draw a comparison in the U.S., uh, what we are aiming at. So that's why what Ian talked early on, that different procedures, different hospital requirements to require our system to be flexible, to be configurable. And that this is not no accident that we developed the modular system. Interesting. I want to address the economics in a moment, but Yang, I'm curious, how do the different arms, the modular systems, how do they, do they work with one controller? How does a surgeon operate multiple arms if they're not part of the same system? How are they connected? The surgeon operates these arms uh, from the surgeon console. The teleoperation part is very similar to the rest of the surgical robotic system. Okay. And these modules can be uh, connected together in a very flexible way throughout the preparation of the system for surgery. We offer the capability of connecting modules after module or module directly connected to our control tower, which we call integration hub. So the OR staff will have the flexibility and the ease of use for getting the system ready and prepare for surgery. And you mentioned that they're able to use their own imaging systems, their own visualization systems. Do you offer one of your own or are you agnostic as to what they have? You'll work with anything that they currently have? We do. We do offer our own vision system. And our vision system is a 3D high definition system equipped with ICG technology that a lot of surgeons in China are asking for. Right now, only DaVinci system has ICG capability on their robotic platform, and we are the first in China uh, to offer that as well. 
And if a hospital is using your your modular systems, but not your imaging, do you have concerns about maybe it doesn't perform as well because their imaging is, is lower definition than yours, isn't as capable of yours? How, how do you account for, is there a minim, bare minimum, I guess, for a visualization system or an imaging system that, that the clients may have? You're getting to a very important point because vision is extremely critical to yeah. the surgeon's performance in the surgery. For our system, we, of course, uh, want to make sure a surgeon has that experience. Mm-hmm. And we made our system compatible to the top-of-line Storz and Olympus system uh, so that the surgeon can use those systems that they're uh, potentially already very familiar with. And you know sometimes surgeons are very sticky with uh, one type of uh, vision system when, once they're uh, um, really getting used to it. So we are compatible with Storz and Olympus, and we offer our own endoscopes when the surgeon don't have access to those. I have trouble using Teams. I'm a Zoom guy, so I can certainly understand not being able to <laughs> use a different platform. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what about the economics? There's been a lot of news lately about price controls on medical devices in China. What are the opportunities there for a surgical robotic system? Where do you see the opportunity to, uh, to build a market? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, there's no question, you know, for the past 16 years, uh, the the market or the available commercially clinical available system are perhaps uh, not optimum in the eyes of the surgeons and uh, patients. And uh, this is uh, in two factors. One is uh, the cost to acquire the system. The second is uh, the cost to uh, perform the procedures. Both are expensive. And this is why for the past 16 years, uh, you know, that uh, this is not covered by the state insurance in China. Patient would have to pay out of their own pocket. And this is uh, one of the inhibitors uh, for the technology to be broadly applied, in addition to some technology challenges that we have just discussed. Going forward, and uh, China is going to be on a DRG. And if you look from a hospital acquisition perspective, I think what is most important for all the players, Renovo included, is going to have to demonstrate clinical excellence. And that, you know, all the things we have talked about, can we cover all specialties? Can we do complex and simple procedures, you know, clinically and economically? And uh, can we fit into uh, a variety of uh, different operating rooms in the country? Can we help young surgeons grow faster? And all of those uh, important questions uh, for the hospital to answer when they choose the system. So in my view, I think uh, this uh, helps a lot, the market moving from a single monopoly to uh, many players with different options, different innovative ideas. And what matters the most are the clinical outcomes. And, uh, and we have to make sure, and that's why this company is so determined from day one of its uh, you know, inception that we have worked very closely with the clinicians. And from concept that, uh, you know, as we have just discussed to where we are today, that we are conducting human clinical trials, that we have been working with uh, Chinese clinicians, U.S. clinicians, leveraging everything that we can leverage in terms of uh, their clinical experience in determining the system configuration, the features, and uh, different options that we have just discussed. So we're very confident uh, going forward, whichever the country region you are going to talk about, I I think uh, emphasis on the clinical outcome is going to be a huge differentiator for whoever enters the space. 
What is your timeline for clinical trials in China and outside of China? Yes, we are focusing on China market right now for very simple reason, because there are so many procedures that we can convert robotically. And the 10 million, just to be precise, as we have just discussed. So we are going to uh, start the human clinical trials uh, on gynecology and uh, urology first. Very quickly, we are moving towards a full specialty coverage that includes general surgery and the thoracic procedures. So this is where we are today. And we have received, by the way, uh, you may know that, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, that we have uh, for the past 12 months, there are a lot of uh, talks and reports that uh, uh, very famous uh, surgeons who have accessed our system give uh, very complimentary remarks about our performance and also the validation of our design intent. So this is extremely encouraging, and, uh, and I'm extremely proud of the team that we have in a, in a very short three years to get where we are today, that we are uh, clinical trial ready for specialty coverage. And Ying, final question to, to sort of expand into other areas beyond the ones we've identified here today, but in the future as well. Is this the design that you can base those future expansions on, or will it require a different model entirely? I'm thinking of the Da Vinci is, is intuitive's main, but now they have their eye on that. They're building different systems to approach different parts of the body. Is that a model that you see Renovo following, or, or is this sort of the, the base upon which you're going to move into different clinical specialties in the future? Or is that not a question that you're, you're ready to discuss yet? I can say a little to that. Right now, Renovo is focused on soft tissue surgery, and we're dead focused on that. But there's a lot going on with soft tissue surgery. And the beauty of the flexible platform and the modular system is that you can potentially develop new modules that offers different clinical capabilities and eventually offer a very different clinical application with uh, your modular system. We are certainly considering expanding to other clinical applications beyond laparoscopic surgery, but we're still doing internal investigation at the moment. Excellent. And John, final question yeah. about financing. You closed on a $50 million, or you've raised $50 million. You've closed in a, a recent round. Was this year, I saw news of the Series A, then I saw news of this recent fundraising. Was this a Series B or... Was there something in between? Can you give me a little bit more information about your fundraising history? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, I, but I can add a little bit of light on what Ying has just mentioned. Uh, now now I have made the transition from technology guy to a commercial guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, whatever we are going to venture into, I think it's always going to solve uh, clinical challenges. And uh, China is a huge country. And the country is on a path, uh, you know, so determined to uh, pursue early detection of a cancer and the early intervention. Two very large areas of that. You mentioned the one product from Intuitive Surgical is exactly that, you know, for lung cancer, early detection and early intervention. And there are other disease profiles we have discussed early on, and that will, uh, you know, take a priority, not just lung, you know, uh, but also, for, for example, colorectal area, upper digestive area. You know, th those are important areas that presents a lot of opportunities can really uh, help the industry. And uh, so that, that's what I would like to add, you know, from uh, clinical and the commercial considerations. In terms of fundraising, you know, first of all, let me say that we are extremely capital efficient company. 
And uh, thanks to our experience, people like Ying and I who worked in large and small, you know, startup and mature companies before in our career. So we know how to set up a team, set up the structure, prioritize our work and very focused on what we do. Uh, so this is uh, something that all of the investors are very happy to see in addition to credibility of a delivery. So the history of fundraising that as you can see that we totally raised the 50 plus million dollars and utilized the three years, uh, is a short time, by the way, from uh, assessing the market clinical needs and yeah. uh, to uh, concept to developing uh, engineering prototype, to going through uh, all of the uh, animal trials uh, leading to where we are today in terms of a, a human clinical trial. Very capital efficient, uh, very focused, and a tremendous credibility for all of the investors. Our investors, uh, including uh, Little Asia Ventures, you have mentioned before, also Vivo Capital, Matrix, uh, Long River, uh, GGV. These are our current shareholders. And uh, now as we entered into human clinical trial, now we have kind of a out of the stealth mode that uh, you know we are very visible now and our intentions are very clear. I'm always a believer that uh, China is a huge market and our system is the right fit for that market. But however, disease is a disease. It doesn't differentiate uh, from one region to the other. The disease demographics may be different. So therefore, I think uh, the team that you are seeing today has tremendous international experiences. And all IND uh, engineers coming from a, a variety of background, but very solid experience uh, in robotics, in medical device. And this is not their first time of designing surgical robotics in their career. So these are all very important setting the stage for where we are heading and what are the capital we are looking to raise in support of that. So our priority is going to be for the next 12, 24 months we are that focused on clinical trials and uh, introduced to the China market. And uh, we are exploring very seriously that because of the system, that the capability it can solve all the problems that we have just discussed, that the international aspiration as well. Do you think international reach would be something you would do on your own? Or would you be open to exploring partnerships with larger players like so CMR and J&J &J that had a deal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are very open. I think, uh, you know, I mean, as a as a company who knows well domestic international market, you always try to find the most efficient way to get your solution to the hands of the customers. And uh, you don't want to necessarily do everything in your own. And uh, so we are always open to collaborations, whether this is a commercial, clinical, or R&D. So that uh, we have been very effectively doing that, actually. So this is a part of the reason that uh, the team can move uh, so quickly and efficiently uh, in the past three years. Excellent. Well, it's, a, it's an exciting space and you're making it more exciting. So I appreciate your sharing your story and joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Chris Newmarker, let's wrap up this episode. Where can folks find you on social media? Hey, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a Newmark. Yeah, absolutely. And I am on uh, LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. I'm on Twitter, sort of, at MedTechTom. Uh, please uh, do us a favor and share this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast on those social media networks that you use and make sure you connect with Chris and I so we can be part of that conversation. And uh, what else would we like people to do, Chris? 
you got to like, follow, subscribe. Absolutely. Like, follow, and or subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network or the Medtronic Talks Network. Um, if you connect with both on there. Exactly. Two different channels. Uh, you'll get uh, with the Device Talks Podcast Network, you'll get this podcast, Striker Talks, Intuitive Talks. Boston Scientific Talks is coming out next week. All right. And uh, we're going to be uh, releasing Abbott Talks uh, a little later nice. in the year, probably in June. So uh, awesome. lots of great content coming that way. And Medtronic has their own channel. And uh, subscribe to Medtronic Talks and you'll get past and future episodes of uh, Medtronic Talks sent directly to you. So lots of, uh, lots of information and insights sent directly to your phone. You can listen to it through your little Bluetooth uh, earphones. It's all right there. It gets directly to your brain. It'll do some good. You'll be better. You'll be smarter, and you'll you'll make better medical devices. Right? A smorgasbord of med tech it information. Is a, if I could spell that, I would probably put it in our marketing. But I, I just I don't want to I don't want to make my spell check go kablooey. Uh, but that's it. And of course, please join us at uh, Device Talks Boston. That's happening May tenth and eleventh. We're going to have a lot of these companies that we're we're talking about: Zimmer, Zimvi, Abbott, Boston Scientific, Medtronic. Uh, we will have BD. We will have, uh, I think I said Boston Scientific. So make sure you join us at uh, at Device Talks Boston, which is happening May 10th and 11th at the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center. Go to devicetalks.com to register for that and to find all these great podcasts in Device Talks Tuesdays as well. So much going on. I can't believe De- Device Talks Boston is like a month and a half away. Just, just wild. Sorry. Sorry, Tom. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to go listen to my white noise machine again. All right. New market. Yeah, yeah. I go calm myself down. Have a nice cup of tea. Exactly. And- <laughs> a little, little biscuits and tea and just listen to my waves rushing up against the shore on my yeah. iPad. And pretend you're on the English there coast or something. <laughs> I'll probably see a World War II German airplane coming my way in my dreams now. Now that you've got this in my head. All right, everybody. Thanks for... Uh, I just mentioned English Coast. You think like oh, this is where I'm at. Like, I'm under siege. I'm Dunkirk. <laughs> I am under siege. We we have you surrounded. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks no. for listening to this episode of the Vice right, Talks Weekly everybody. Podcast. Hey, everybody! Spring is on the way. <laughs>